you. Thank you all for having me. It is uh, an honor and a privilege to get to be here. In a lot of ways, this is kind of like coming home. I've been, uh, for the last uh, 16 years or since 2004, I was the, a pastor on staff at Grace Community Church in Frederick, Maryland, uh, which was super fun to get to be up there and to be a part of that team and that staff. I was uh, the youth pastor up there for a very long time and uh, so got to do things with Courtney and Stacy. Uh, in a lot of ways, Pastor Dennis has been like a mentor to me. Uh, he's walked with me even through some difficult journeys and challenges. Uh, so I love this church. I've gotten to come speak at the school here uh, for chapel days, for spiritual emphasis stuff. Uh, it's been fun to get to be in Waldorf. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, as Stacy mentioned, I'm the executive director of ministry with Momentum Ministry Partners. Uh, many of you know CE National, same organization, new name, okay? Uh, so just briefly, I want to explain uh, who Momentum is. Our goal really is to be partners of the local church. Uh, we, while technically are a national parachurch organization, we really want to help see the local church thrive and be healthy and succeed. And so we want to come alongside of the local church uh, to be a part of that. And so uh, we do things like Momentum Youth Conference, which you just saw that amazing video of uh, some of the things that happen there from these students. Uh, we also do what we call Momentum Urban Centers. Some of you have been uh, to the Urban Center in Philadelphia. We have another one in Los Angeles. The goal is to get people out of their comfort zone and help Jesus make sense back home in your local community and get them to do that. We also do what was formerly called Operation Barnabas, which is now Momentum Travel Teams uh, that helps to equip high school students to have a ministry mindset, uh, to learn the spiritual disciplines, uh, to learn and understand the power of scripture and how prayer can change everything. And then even to figure out what your spiritual gifts are and come back and serve in your local church. So it brought me great excitement uh, to see that this was your Youth Emphasis Sunday, um, that the students are serving, they're leading worship, they're uh, running the tech booth, they're helping greet you when you came in this morning and pass out bulletins. Uh, students are a part of the church now. So many times uh, I hear, as a, a longtime youth pastor, I hear people say, uh, we gotta invest in the students, they're the future of the church and I believe with all of my heart that if we have that mindset and that perspective, we'll miss opportunities to, to allow them to serve, to lead, to engage. And if I could just kind of get on my soapbox for a minute, I believe that when these students pray to receive Christ and they have the same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead living inside of them, it's the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of your pastors, your elders, you who are Christ followers as well, God can move and work in and through those students. And if we don't give them a track, a pathway, an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through them, if we're not encouraging them, if we're not reminding of them of those things, if we're not praying for them, then we're missing opportunities to allow God to work in and through them. I love what Stacy even shared earlier about the, the statistics of the, the school systems that are right here in this community tremendous opportunity to reach this community and their families for the gospel, for the cause of Christ. So this morning I'm here uh, to encourage, to equip, to challenge. Uh, the last thing I want to say about momentum is uh, as a ministry, our goal, I said, is to be partners of the local church. 
we provide those ministry equipping experiences, uh, but our goal really is to equip today's Christian leaders for tomorrow's opportunities. That's our vision statement. It's our goal to then raise up 3,000 pastors and those ministry professionals uh, over the next 20 years. And then alongside of that, think the healthy core of a church. So you have the ministry professional side. You also have and need the missional marketplace leaders, the people who will uh, work and, and serve in the community, but but volunteer in your local church. And so we also want to help identify and raise up 10,000 missional marketplace leaders as well. You can check out our website, buildmomentum.org. I'm around. I'd love to talk to you about all of that. But this morning, they've asked me to look at the prodigal son. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to dive in. Now, last week, uh, Art did a great job of breaking this down with me. Uh, By the way, I need to say hello to my wife, Bethany, and my two kids who are uh, watching online this morning, and they sent me with these uh, Lego guys. This one looks like Batman, but it's not. This is uh, my son Cohen's Lego guy, and this is my daughter's Lego guy. So I take them with me when I travel, and thus uh, a reminder that my kids love me and that they're praying for me. So uh, before we dive into this passage here, let's pray and just ask God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, You are so good to us. God, you are uh, an incredible father who loves us as we were singing about this morning. You are uh, an amazing, loving father who has made a way for us to be a part of your kingdom's work. And God, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for uh, the fact that you love us and have chosen us to be a part of your kingdom's work. Father, we don't want to take that lightly, we want to we wanna steward the, the relationship that we have with you and the resources that you've given to us, especially, Lord, through your word. And so would you speak to us this morning? Would you move in our hearts? Lord, I just pray that we could even set this time aside that, that what happens here in this place this morning on October 22nd, Lord, that we would even look back today and that we would be different because of our encounter with you today in your throne room. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, I wanted to mention one other resource. I put it on, uh, on a slide, and then I skipped it, and I forgot. Uh, Momentum Ministry Partners, one of our things that we've tried to do to uh, help partner with the local church. Many of you are parents of teenagers. Many of you uh, are volunteers in the church. We developed a podcast, so uh, if you scan that QR code, that will take you to our, our podcast page. I'm actually the host of that podcast, uh, but we love nothing more than we have listeners that submit questions. In fact, this next week, uh, we'll be releasing every Friday, we release a podcast, uh, but on Friday this week, we'll be releasing a podcast on Halloween. Does Halloween and ministry mix? How do you do that? So uh, it's a conversation every Friday. Uh, We release a new episode, and we're aiming to really equip uh, to be a resource for parents, for ministry professionals, for marketplace leaders. So uh, scan that QR code. Uh, If you don't get it, I have it later. You can come and ask me. This morning, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the prodigal father, okay? The prodigal father. Now, Dennis told me that I have about two hours to get through this, so bear with me here. We'll try and go fast. That's not right? Oh, 25 minutes, he said. Okay, all right. 
All right, we'll do our best here. Okay, we're going to go fast. All right, this morning we're looking at the prodigal father. Now, this story, and I know that you've been living in this, this story is one that probably you've heard before, yes? It's probably one that you grew up listening to. It's maybe one that you, maybe if you aren't familiar with church, you maybe you didn't grow up in church, but it's probably one that you know. I would ask you this morning to just kind of suspend some of those things. This morning, I would say maybe put out some of the, the things that you have been taught and things that you think you know. I know many of you, you're, you're very smart. You're a smart congregation. You have amazing leaders and pastors. Many of you probably know um, that, that this story is a parable. You can tell me all the details about it. You can say, Eric, it's, it's a parallel. It's brilliant. Jesus connected the, the story of the prodigal son all the way back to Genesis 27 and the story of Isaac and Esau and Jacob and you know this father and his two sons. And you could tell me all the parallel. We're not going to go there today. Many of you could probably talk through like, hey, this is a picture, these three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, they're all a picture of the beauty of the Trinity of God. And and yes, all of that's true. We're not going to go there today, okay? What we're going to look at is three things. And I would encourage us to look at the problem, the perspective, and then the parable, or in Jesus' mind, the solution, the answer, but answer and solution didn't start with P. So like a true pastor, I decided to make it, we'll just stick with what is called the parable, right? Alliteration is fun, okay? Uh, I know it's cheesy, but you'll remember it, okay? The, the, the problem, the perspective, and the parable of the prodigal father. So allow, even this morning, let's just allow this to connect to our hearts again, okay? I know you might know this story. I know that you could probably recite it but let's allow it to connect with our hearts. Let's look at it here. Okay, we're gonna pick up uh, in verse 11 of Luke 15, uh, and we see Jesus talking to uh, his audience. He's talking to the tax collectors, or he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes who were around him, okay? Uh, So he said, there had been a man with two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of, of the property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And 
the, the son said to him, he's practicing his come home speech that he had been practicing before. His son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cut him off, he interrupted him. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him in a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Let us celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they all began to celebrate. It's a beautiful picture. But the story goes on in verse 25. He says, now Jesus says to his listeners, now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Picture this. He heard dancing. Have you ever heard dancing? Pastor Dennis is actually going to come up here right now and do a dance that is so loud that you will hear it. <laughs> can, you can you imagine? He's not coming. Okay, we'll keep reading. And he called, he called one of the servants and asked that these, what these things meant. And they said to him, your brother has come home. The father has killed the fattened calf and he's received him back because he's safe and sound. Look at this, verse 26, when he was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, there's a couple things that I want us to point out here, okay? First of all, why is Jesus telling this story. In order to understand that, we have to kind of go back and look again at who is Jesus talking to? Who is he speaking to? Who's his audience? Go all the way back to Luke 15, verse 1. You'll see what's going on. You'll see the, the, the problem here and why Jesus is sharing this story. The problem is, look at it here, I put it on the screen. This is the ESV, it's the extra spiritual version. That's what that stands for. Uh, just kidding, it's the English Standard Version. Uh, it says this in verse one. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, and this time tax collectors were, were evil people. People didn't want to associate with them, all they want is our money. The tax collectors and those sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, to him. He's the him here. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're bitter. They're discouraged. They're jealous. They grumbled because, why do you think? They wanted to hang out with Jesus. <laughs> you think? They wanted his time. They wanted his attention. They, they even said, this man receives sinners. He allows them to be near him, and he even eats with them. Oh, my goodness. Look at it in, the, uh, in a different translation. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Same verses, same two verses. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners 
often came and listened to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees, and check this out, it doesn't say scribes, it says teachers of the religious law. I find that fascinating, that the scribes are teachers of the religious law. They have the head knowledge. They know who God is. They're teaching his word, and yet they're missing the person who's right in front of them. And it made them angry. It made them frustrated. They're complaining, it says. The Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, they complain that Jesus is associating with such sinful people. And again, he's even eating with them. Here is the problem. Sinners spending time with Jesus. How dare they do that? He even eats with them. The audacity. Teachers of the the religious law, they're complaining, they're grumbling about this process. But here's the thing. Let's boil it down. Can we kind of just cut all that away and put ourselves in this story and think, what's the heart of the issue? For these leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, these teachers of the religious law, what do you think's really in their heart? Pride? All kinds of things. I think, in my personal opinion, they have an opinion about themselves. They think they're better than these other people. Isn't it true that we can do that? Before we like judge these people too harshly, if I'm honest, and I will be honest with you, if you're honest and you have my permission to be honest with yourself this morning, don't we do that? Don't we judge other people? Don't we look at them and make assumptions? Don't we usually assume or hope for the best, but we believe the worst? We're so quick to swing. It's interesting what they thought about themselves. Do you know that there's a passage? I think it's funny. They're teachers of the religious law, and yet they didn't have the book of Romans then, but Paul talks about don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest about yourself. That's literally what they're doing. I think they're boasting themselves up so much. They're, they're so prideful. They're measuring themselves against these other people. They're like, we're better. They're worse. You should hang out with us. It was their perspective. The problem here in which Jesus is identifying is their heart. It's their perspective It's how they see the world. And this morning, friends, listen. If we allow this to cut to our hearts as well, if we allow this to to speak to us in a similar way that I think Jesus wanted this story to speak to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I think our perspective might shift and change too. The problem is the perspective And the perspective became the problem. How they saw the world, it it didn't just matter in that moment. It changed. You read the rest of the book of Luke, you'll see it. Their perspective became the problem. Jesus, in their mind, became the problem. 
It's this us versus them mentality. Have you done that before? It's, it's the employees versus the boss. It's this side of the family versus the in-laws. It's husband versus wife. It's kids versus parents. It's us versus them mentality. The perspective that Jesus has, he understands the problem, but he's in a different seat. He's looking at the problem from a different set of lenses. He's looking at the problem through a heavenly perspective, through a godly perspective. He looks at them, and so verse three, he tells them this story. Jesus, knowing the situation, breaks it down, and he tells them the story. He gives them the the parable. We're not gonna dive into this real fast, but I wanna look at a couple things just to highlight and emphasize and make sure that we're all on the same page with this. Jesus tells these three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, okay? The lost sheep, check this out. One of 100. How many of you, when you lose one of your 100 sheep, the other 99 are there, you don't go look for it. It's 1% value, right? I Fact check me, I did the math, I broke out my calculator. It's 1% value. It's unintentional. The story, this lost sheep, it unintentionally wandered away. It's aimless, it's innocent, it wandered. And yet, the bottom line, Jesus' bottom line, is he said, rejoice and celebrate when this lost sheep is now found. And we, every person who has ever lost something, even of 1% value, can relate and identify to that story, can't we? Where are my keys? Where am I? You ever do this? Where are my glasses? And you're like, they're on your... Where's my phone and it's in your hand? 1% value. I know, students, students in the room, they're like, my phone is not 1% value. It's infinite value. Okay, maybe it's like the lost coin. Jesus goes on and he tells another story. He knows his audience. He gives this perspective. He sets it all up where there's this lady. She lost her 10 silver coins. She lost one of the 10. It's 10% value. He even goes so far as to associate the value of these coins and how many days wages it's worth. Again, it's an unintentional accidental thing, but this time it's significant. It's meaningful. Bottom line, he rejoices and celebrates. He sets it up. We should rejoice and celebrate when found. Then he goes even further. The lost son, one of two. Do the math. What is it? Take off your shoes and socks if you need. 50, 50% value. Math is hard. I'm a pastor, I do numbers with scripture references and chapter verses and I don't do math. 50% value, it's deliberate, not unintentional, not aimless, it's deliberate, it's arrogant, it's vindictive, it's selfish. The son basically says to his dad, I wish you were dead, I don't need you. Now. Let's pause right here for a second in, in this story and in this perspective. And I want to help hopefully connect this to our hearts a little bit deeper, a little bit more meaningful. I think if we're honest, all of us at some point in our lives 
can identify with the younger brother, with the prodigal son. Either there was a time, maybe you're wrestling with it now, where you basically are frustrated, you're bitter, you're discouraged. You're basically saying to your father, I wish you were dead. Give me what's deserved. Now, hang on, let's be really clear. In this story, I don't think Jesus is talking about the earthly father. When I just said that statement, I'm not actually talking about your earthly father. I'm talking about our heavenly father. I'm talking about God. I think if we're honest, many of us have had that point in our life where we're mad, we're angry at God because we don't think he's giving us what we think we deserve. God, I waited so long. God, I I think I deserve this. God, would you help me with that? And, And you didn't. Do you know how many times I prayed? I I checked all the boxes. I did all the right things. I went to church. I even started giving. And you let me down. So forget it. I'm just going to go do what I want. If we're honest, we can relate to this son. And the picture that Jesus, (laughs) I could cry. The picture that Jesus paints of the father It's beautiful. He allows him. He he sees the problem. He tries to change his perspective, but he knows that if he just gives him the like dad talk and sits him down, okay, listen here, buckaroo, it's not gonna work. He needs to allow him to go experience it. And so he does. He allows him to have a different perspective. How many times does God, our father, do that with us? And maybe some of us, our perspective is like the older brother. Our perspective is like, God, I've been serving you my whole life. God, I've I've done all these things. God, I've I've invested, I've led. I even told that guy at McDonald's that one time about Jesus. Like I've done, checked all the boxes. I set a timer. I, I read my Bible for 15 whole minutes every day especially on the days when I know Stacy's going to text me because I want to be able to say that I read today. And you still won't let me have what I want. You don't even give me a young goat. Your perspective is all wrong. And so Jesus tells us this parable. It's for a reason. I think it's really, really fascinating that in this story, again, knowing the audience, knowing the people that are there, knowing who's listening, as Jesus gives this parable, as he gives this answer, as there's all these other illustrations and connections and things that that the Holy Spirit, I think, is doing as Jesus is talking and sharing, even now for us, as we're listening, I think the Holy Spirit is pressing on our hearts something for each of us that we need to listen to. Do you realize that that Jesus didn't end the story? You ever like your favorite TV show? You're like, no, now I have to wait until next week 
okay, TV shows don't work that way anymore. You just watch the next one on demand. Sorry. Terrible example. A movie. Even movies don't do this anymore. Okay, I don't know. I got nothing. The cliffhanger. (laughs) You want to know how does the story end? That's exactly what Jesus does here. He doesn't tell them the end. He goes out to meet with the older brother. He has this conversation with him. And the story doesn't tell us, did the the older son, did he go back in? Did he change his perspective? Did Did he repent? Did he welcome home the younger brother? What did he do? I don't know if you're like me, I I wanna know. I've like done all kinds of research. I've like read commentaries. I even learned how to study the Greek. It's not there. It's not there. You know why I think it's not there? I think Jesus wants both his listeners then and now for us to determine identify, to shift our perspective and realize that we relate to somebody in this story. What's our end going to be? How are we going to make a decision? How are we going to play this out? Now, I referenced earlier Romans 12. The problem with their perspective is that they think they're better than somebody else, right? The problem, if I'm honest, sometimes with my perspective is that I think I'm better. The problem is sometimes I think I deserve this. God, you didn't. God, you you failed. God, you let me down. God, you... The problem is my perspective. It's our perspective. And in our church... In this community where we're celebrating youth, where we want to train and equip and raise them up, listen to me, hear my heart in this. Adults, parents, we shouldn't ever ask these students to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. We shouldn't. Hey, I love what... These leaders are saying, it's important, we got to read our Bible, but that means we need to do that too. We shouldn't stand here and communicate the the truth of God's word if we're not willing to do it ourselves. Now look at this. Let's go to Romans 12. Look at this verse with me. Paul is talking to the church in Rome who's struggling with some of these same things. Their, Their problem is their perspective. Their problem is they think they're better than others. And Paul says directly to them, this is the New Living Translation, he says, don't think you're better than you really are. Now, students, you're in the room. This counts for you too, okay? Don't think you're better than you really are. Some of us, our problem isn't that at all. We constantly think we're worse than everyone. We constantly beat ourselves up. I'm guilty of this. We constantly, we're our own worst critic. That too fits. You're making a false assumption. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Look at this, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Now here's the thing that's crazy. Verse four, he says, 
Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. Now, I've been around church and and ministry and things for a long time, and I've seen a lot, a lot of things where adults will look at teenagers and even children, and they think they're better than themselves because they don't have much to offer. I've been to churches where they don't even want to give money financially to provide snacks or a youth room or whatever because the the youth, the, the teens, the children can't tithe and give back to the church. I've seen it. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. I'm glad that this isn't one of those churches. But let's not go so far as to like lop off an arm of the body of Christ because we think we're better than someone because of age. Each part has a special function. So it is, verse five, with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Friends, listen. If that's how we live, if we allow the truth of God's word to connect with our hearts, more than just our heads, and then we live it out with our hands and our feet, I believe with all of my heart, I am convinced that God will do something phenomenal in and through this church, in and through these students. I would love to see it happen. I'd love to come back in six months, a year from now, and you're like, Eric, the, the, the craziest thing happened. We started loving students. We started loving others. We started investing and valuing people for how God sees them. He changed our perspective. We no longer see the teens or, or the children as the problem. We never, see, we never see the outsiders who are coming in as the problem. They spilled coffee on the floor. That whatever it is, we don't see them as the problem. God changed our perspective. We're reminded of this parable. We're reminded of our part in the body of Christ and the role that we all get to play. But that means you serve, you connect, you press in. Yesterday I was teaching the students, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. It's a big deal. Some of you, you're here and you're like, I'd love to plug in and connect, but I'm, I'm struggling to find right relationships with people. I would challenge you, maybe, maybe just start by being vulnerable hey, we're actually starting to come to church here because we're in debt. We need help. Hey, we're actually trying to connect with a life group because our marriage is struggling. We need some community. Would you just be vulnerable and see what God does with it? See where it goes. I'm excited for what God might do in and through this. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Would you help us in this context, in this situation, through this story as we look at the example that Jesus gives to us? God, we want nothing more than for the truth of your word to connect to our hearts and that this would no longer be just a story that we think we know or a parable we heard one time at Sunday school. But Jesus, that we would interact with it, that we would engage, 
we would be convicted even of where we're missing of the part that you're calling us to play, the role that we can have. So God, for each and every person in this room, Lord, I say thank you. And I ask that you would connect with our hearts and our minds in order that we might follow after you and be a part of your mission. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way that we can be a part of your kingdom's work. We love you, God, and pray these things in your holy and precious name.